0: church? How are we doing first service? Wow, not that great. I get it. I get it. I know you Bears fans here worried about playing the Packers today. I get that. I get that. Welcome to first service. I'm Pastor Chase. I'm going to bring the message this morning. I'm excited to just uh, close out this series called Unrivaled. We've been looking at multiple miracles of Jesus and I'm closing out with um, one that I think almost everyone's heard of. And so we're going to be in the book of John today, in John chapter 11, we're going to get to see Jesus' power just unhinged through God. By far the greatest powerful act so far in the Gospels until we get to the pinnacle of the Gospel, which is the resurrection of Jesus. So that's where we're going to be, but before we dive in, let's pray. Bow with me. Father God, as we just gather this morning... I pray that you be with the message. I pray that you be with me. Maybe your words and not mine. God, as we just dive into your word and your gospel, may the words penetrate us. May we understand that we are your people. And may we see the love of Christ. Praise all in your name. Amen. So as we unpack this last one this morning, number six of six that we're covering, I want us to remember this. We want to look at not only what Jesus does, but who he is. That's one of the biggest things I want us to make sure we grasp this morning. Because every time we go through scripture, we're always looking, all right, what did Jesus do? He did this and this and this and this. But sometimes we forget along the way. We need to remember who he is. And each of the gospel writers gives us a little bit more insight into Jesus and some different characteristics of him. Because remember, Jesus was human and also full God. It's the incarnation of Christ, basis of the gospel. So we're going to unpack a little bit of that today as well. But as we unpack this miracle in the book of John, there's a couple things we need to know about the gospel of John. The gospel of John is written last out of all the gospels around 90 AD. The gospel of John has a lot of new information compared to the other three, which are called the synoptics, being like Same. So kind of like 97% of new information. But the Gospel of John gives us a lot of imagery, and also we kind of get to see some of the humanity of Jesus in this Gospel. And as we come to chapter 11, chapter 11 of the Gospel of John is weeks before he's going to go into the last week of his life, being Jesus, Well, you're like, well, Chase, that's for Easter, is it not? It is for Easter, and it is October, but we're going (laughs) to preach John chapter 11 this morning. So let's go ahead and dive in, and let's set the scene here. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, says this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, being Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. There's a lot to unpack there. And the first thing I want to unpack is this. In verse 4, Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death, which, if we know the story, that's kind of weird. Um, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so, the first point I need to unpack this morning is a very uncomfortable point. It's one we don't like talking about. There is sickness that brings glory to God. There is sickness. That brings glory to God. This is one of those things that a lot of pastors try to like skirt around or we say cliches. Like when people ask, well, hey, why did this happen? Why is there this cancer? Why is there this disease? And the line is, well, we live in a fallen, sinful world. Well, that's true. That's a true statement. But what else can we say to that? And I think if we're to be honest, we we need to say this. There is sickness that brings glory to God. Because if I believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and can be anywhere, then I know that he has control over everything. If I don't believe that God allows certain things to happen, then I don't believe in the the deity of God. So does God cause the sickness? No. No. But there is sickness that brings glory to God because just as we have brokenness and God uses it, the same thing with sickness. So when we talk about things like cancer or disease or what we've been dealing with this last couple of years or disability, how have we seen God use these things? Let me tell you about one of the hardest ones that pastors have a struggle just being rational with and talking people through. Um. And that is cognitive disability, all right, especially with young kids. So let me tell you a story about this first. So when I was in high school, uh, most of you know because I told a couple stories from back in my high school days before on the stage. Um, I was an athlete, but also I actually, I don't think I've told you guys this, I did theater for my last year, all right, because as I found out, it took me three years to figure this out, you can meet a lot of ladies in theater, all right. So myself, as a defensive tackle, and one of my wide receiver buddies, we went into theater together. It was the greatest hits of our life. And we had a play that we did during Christmas season one year. Um, Naturally, they said, hey, you guys can be, you know, Santa and the elf. You can guess which one that I was. And so as I dressed up in my big red suit, all jolly and happy, we did this awesome thing on the stage to just the senior class. It was hilarious. It was called Who Killed Santa? i die halfway. It's great. All right? No video from it, thank God. And so as we do this, we get off the stage, everybody's having a hoot and a holler, we're all laughing, it's a great time. And a couple of the teachers approach us, and they said, hey, we have a favor to ask of both of you. And we knew them, and they said, could you come down to our classrooms, because today is Christmas for our kids, and just give out gifts. And so we knew these teachers were in charge of a department of the school that had a lot of Cognitive disabilities in their classroom, and so we said, "Sure, we'll come down. I'll bring a bag. I got some, and we'll put your gifts in there, and we'll hand them out to the kids." So we went down these classrooms, and everyone in this classroom ha- has some disability, and all of a sudden, when we walk in, their faces light up, and we start seeing tears. We're handing out gifts, and kids are crying, and they're just super pumped about this. And I look over at my buddy. <laughs> I see him tearing up. I'm trying to stop it because I'm going to start crying here in a minute. And we got out of that classroom, and the two of us probably bawled like babies for like 10 minutes and made sure as we're getting ready to practice, we cannot let anybody know this. We're going to conditioning in the weight room right now. Let's pull it together. And I had an epiphany that day. And I talked to a couple of the teachers about that, and I remember this. So when people ask me as a pastor, why does God allow this to happen? And that day is God showed me something. Hanging out with those students and engaging them and having relationships with them, especially parents that have someone that might have a cognitive disability, it makes everyone around them a better person. Everyone around them. So when people ask me, well, why does God allow this? I'm like, you don't see the tool that's right in front of you. Because whoever they are, and you might have a family member or a sibling, they bring out the best in people with a pure heart, innocence, things that we lost a long time ago. And so I learned that sometimes that God does use sickness or disability and brings glory from it. And it was super powerful. The next thing we have to understand from this text as we see from the sisters is verse 5 said now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we need to understand how God loves us. We need to understand how God loves us because there's some misconceptions about knowing if God loves us or not. Because some of us in here might think, oh, we know God loves us because we have blessings. We know God loves us because man, we're not financially struggling. We, we know God loves us because we have perfect kids and no one said amen to that. We, we know that God loves us because we have the most comfortable jobs and we're super happy. Church, if that's the measure in which God loves us, then man, he must have hated the Apostle Paul. Hear me on that. If we start measuring that how God loves us because the blessings that we have, the comfort that we have, the possession that we have, the money that we have, I think we've missed the point. Because if that is the measure of how much God loves us, then he hated a lot of strong saints. We need to understand how God loves us. And as he's getting ready to unpack with Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and I have to laugh because Martha's name is mentioned first here, which tells me the story is probably gonna revolve around her a good amount here. So and as we get ready to unpack more of this text, understand what the love of God comes from, where it comes from. The dominant thought of the gospel of John, the main point of the gospel of John comes from John chapter 1 verses 14 through 17, which says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, for from grace, for from, wow, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh. If you know what that means, the word being Jesus. And Jesus became flesh. We talked about this word, our incarnation earlier. What it means is Jesus, being God, comes in flesh with us. When we talk about how do we need to understand that God loves us, he loves us because he came for us. He loves us, and we know he does because he shows up. And we saw this in John 1. With the gospel of who Jesus is, that he shows up on the scene for humanity. But not only that, in this moment right now with this family, he shows up. And here's what happens when he shows up. Skipping through a couple verses, and don't want you to lose some context here. So the couple verses I'm skipping over is naturally the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, we can't go. People are trying to kill you. If you don't know this, there's an assassination plot for Jesus from the, the high priest. The disciples know that, and Jesus is like, hey. I got this, and God's got me, and all right, now they're on the way to Bethany. And here we go, starting in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Verse 21. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. First thing I want to point out is that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. All right? We're going to put a pin in that, and I'm going to come to that later. The next thing you need to know is according to Jewish customs in the first century, they grieved the loss of a loved one for an entire year, entire year. And for the first 30 days, you did not leave the house. You didn't leave the house. So what already is weird to me knowing this is that when Jesus was on the way, Martha jumps out of the house. And if you guys know anything about Mary and Martha, Martha's usually not the rule breaker. And Martha goes out to meet Jesus. And then she says to Jesus, and sometimes we misread this text. If you had only been here, someone's like, man, yeah, Martha's going to stick it to Jesus. If you'd only been here, Jesus. But that's not what she's saying. Because the tone that she's giving that I can see is worshipful. If you'd only been here, I know this wouldn't have happened because I know your power. It's not anger at Jesus because if it was anger, we would see that in the text a little bit more heated. And then she even says after that, but I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then her and Jesus, her brother just died, been in the tomb for four days, had this theological conversation. Couple things that I love about this Jesus loves having theological conversations with ladies. We know that from John 4, the gospel writer of John puts it in 4, now here in 11, then later with Mary, he's having this deep conversation, and Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, but what Jesus was saying to her is he will rise again, and Martha immediately goes, yes, we know at the end of times he will be resurrected. Martha's looking at the past saying, hey, have you only been here, we know that you could have done this, you could have healed him. You've been healing a lot of people. Everyone right now around Bethany and Jerusalem knows that. That's why people are trying to kill you. And then when Jesus says, do you not know he'll rise again? She says, I know in the end times. When the end comes, he'll rise. So here's Martha looking at the past, looking at the future, but she's missing what's right in front of her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. Martha gets so focused on the physical resurrection at the end of times, she misses what Jesus is trying to say. So what I just told you is that Jesus shows up. That's how he shows us he loves us. And there's a couple things that we're going to unpack today that Jesus shows up with. Number one, Jesus showed up with profound truth. He showed up and said, hey, here's who I am. We see that from verses 25 and 26. Here's the profound truth from Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe in this? Just so you're aware, there's seven great I am statements of Jesus in the gospel of John. This is the fifth. This is the fifth. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell Martha. And so here's what happens afterwards. When she said, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. This is what happened, starting in verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, here and is calling for you. Verse 29, and when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met with him. And his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And in the shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Martha goes and tells Mary, hey, Jesus is here. Mary is out of that house, running to Jesus. People follow her because they're like, hey, she's going to need some more just some more love and just somebody to cry on, so she's probably going to the tomb, so that people are following her that came in from the town of Bethany to support her, and she runs to Jesus. She falls at his feet. Yet again, in my opinion, worshipful, and said, Jesus, if you had only been here, he would, he would not have perished. Knowing that we know the power that you have. Knowing that we know who you are and what you say you are. And then as Jesus sees her emotion, he weeps. I would be remiss if I did not tackle a couple of points right there. Number one is this, Jesus showed up not just with profound truth, but great emotion. Church, we completely undervalue and underestimate that when we hurt, Jesus hurts. I want you to hear me on that. Because sometimes we get in the mindset that when we are struggling or hurting, God just up there like, come on, come on. But man, if we know that God is all righteous, he does have sympathy, he does have empathy and compassion. And we see right here at the tomb of Lazarus, we see the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus. Weeps. Weeps. Can I tell you how powerful that is? Can I tell you how many other religions out in the world their God weeps for them? Give you a hint, it's zero. His heart breaks. And then we see in the text, he's moved, deeply moved, and greatly troubled. And something that I like to look at is when I unpack this this phrase of the emotion of Jesus, I want to know what kind of emotion Jesus is having here. So when it says he's deeply moved, uh, because I try to do my due diligence doing this sermon, I look back at the Greek and I see, all right, what is this word and what does it mean? And the actual literal translation of this deeply moved, the reference is to snort of a horse, like an anger. And then when I see the the greatly troubled, I see that other times in Scripture, same Greek used, and that means for the tossed sea or the storm-tossed sea. So not only is Jesus weeping with them, but there's this anger in him. There's this trouble. Why? Why this anger? Is it that these people that followed Mary out of the house were like, but some of them said, could he have not opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept him from dying? Is Jesus upset because do they still not get it? Is that what is bringing this, this anger out of Jesus, this lack of faith? On a shallow level, I'd say, okay, I can give some points to that. So let me give you My opinion. From what I see in the text, the anger that comes out of Jesus, which we're going to unpack in the next scripture, is this. The fact that death still has power. And that angers Jesus. Because what do we know in the beginning of the text? Jesus said, this illness will not lead to death. What? Was Jesus wrong? I mean, is that what this says? Because he's dead. Jesus said it wouldn't lead to death. Well, that might be the Bible telling me that Jesus makes mistakes. Well, that's incorrect too. Because what Jesus has and knows, just like it said in the beginning of John 11, I will bring glory to the Father through this. And Jesus is angry at this tomb because of what has happened. So then Jesus says this, verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Okay. That's a lot. Power of Jesus. Power of God. There's a couple things I told you earlier that we're going to stop back on later. Number one, four days. It's said again right here. Because when he says take the stone away, Martha's like Jesus. Brother's been dead four days. It's not going to be pleasant. Why is four days important? It's mentioned twice. and So when things are mentioned like that, I kind of want to know why they're important. In Jewish history and Jewish culture, Jews believe that three days after day three, the soul leaves the body, and after that, there's nothing you can do. Man, if I didn't know that, that would make this different. So, Jesus, knowing these are a Jewish audience, people around him on day four, soul was supposedly gone from Lazarus. Watch God work. So then they open the door, and Jesus calls out, Lazarus, come out. And then he comes out. Now, let me tell you what this scene must have looked like, because we just assume this guy just walks out. We assume that this is how the walking dead got their plot points, and this is what happens, right? But what actually, when somebody's wrapped in burial cloth, their whole body is wrapped and I'm glad John doesn't say it this way because it probably would take away from the text, but this man's probably not walking out. He's probably hopping out. Now, how funny would that look? Come out, Lazarus, and he's, he's blinded by the headcloth all wrapped around him, probably got some lavender still stuck on him, and he's hopping out. Now, had I been a spectator, I don't know if I'd have stayed around. But I love what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Honestly, from my opinion, they tell him and they move the face cloth because the dude can't breathe. He's going to die here in about another two minutes again if we don't do something. So for people that thought his soul had left, everything was gone, grief was underway. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh. Back to life are you. And sets up the greatest flash forward for what's going to happen not too long after this. There is a couple things that I love about this text and I love about this miracle. Number one is this. Number one, if people thought God does not have power over death, they're wrong. Because right here is the example, and his is setting up the precursor of evidence for when Jesus resurrects, we know God can do it, and he did it through Jesus. Jesus does this. So not only did he show up with powerful truth, great emotion, Jesus also showed up with powerful action. Not only did he show up with profound truth and great emotion, he shows up with powerful action. So church, what does that mean for us? When we look at that, when Jesus shows up, because Jesus still shows up today, I hope you believe that, I hope you know that. If this is new to you, this is something I want you to really hear me on. No matter what we're going through in life, Jesus shows up if we let him. And he shows up with truth. Some of the times you're like, well, he doesn't speak to me. Well, because the truth we already have shows up with great emotion and then powerful action. The truth that we have is the gospel, the emotion is the cross, and the great action that he shows up and continues to show up with is the resurrection, the defeat of death. Now, I want to make a point, but I don't want you to hear what I'm not preaching. As a church today, I believe we focus too much on the cross. What? (laughs) Pastor said, what? And here's what I'm saying we get so focused on the grace offering, the blood atonement of Jesus, and man, we need that. We shortchange the resurrection. We get so focused on the cross that sometimes we get so focused of, man, I need to be doing better. I need to be doing better. Jesus took it to the cross for me. I need to be doing better. I need to be doing this, this, and this, and this. But we forgot about something. If the cross is so powerful, which it really is, so hear me on this, it's powerful. But the resurrection makes it so much more. Because Jesus tells us he is the resurrection and the life. One of the great I am statements, he is the resurrection and the life. And we have a struggle with this. And here's why we have a struggle with this. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The reason we struggle with remembering that Jesus is the resurrection and the life is because Satan is a liar. And he wants us to know that he thinks that we're not good enough and we should know that too, that we're not good enough for Jesus. You you think you love this resurrection? You think you're coming back to life? You're not good enough. And sometimes we feel that because maybe you're like, oh, has God blessed you? You're financially struggling. You've lost your job. You've lost loved ones recently. Really? Where's this love from God? And that's Satan telling us lies. And he's completely changed up the love of God in our head. Because the love that God has for us is that he showed up. Some of you don't know what that's like to have someone show up for you. So for you this morning, I say this. Your faith in Jesus, he shows up. He shows up. Stop believing the lies. Stop believing you're not good enough. Stop believing you have to chase after so much of this and that in order to be loved by God. Because what Jesus is saying to us is since I am the resurrection and life, you who know me, confess in me, you have this already. You've already won. You've already won. The only thing left of the battle is how many people you can tell about the gospel. The battle for you is done. If you claim Jesus, the battle for you is over because Satan has lost. How I know that is, yes, Satan is powerful, but he doesn't hold a candle to God. He doesn't hold a candle to Jesus Some of you in here need to hear this, that you need to stop fighting. Because if you've given your life to Christ, you've won. Jesus won. And half the problem with when we feel like we're not good enough is because we're still battling. We're not letting go of these sins that we struggled with. And saying, hey, God's got me. Yes, I'm going to continue messing up. I know that. But grace is going to cover me, and I'm going to continue my prayer life, my devotion life, and chasing after him. And I'm going to be less and less sinful every day as long as I try. I'm going to try for that. One of the biggest misconceptions of Christianity is when you own this thing called Jesus and salvation is that the next day, you're now perfect. Well, that is nowhere in the gospel. What I can tell you is this. What is in the gospel is this. When you take on Christ, at the end of days, you are perfect in the eyes of God because you're covered by the blood of the lamb. What it doesn't mean is that tomorrow is you become the perfect coworker, the perfect parent, the perfect coach, the perfect father, the perfect son, the perfect daughter, the perfect mother. You put that weight on you, you are going to crumble. Because the goal is I want to be that father that chases after God. I want to be that mother that chases after God. I want to be that child, that son or daughter that chases after God. Because through that journey, I become whole. The last thing I want to talk about this morning is this. When we talk about the resurrection, whether we did this one of Lazarus or the one of Jesus, which is the pinnacle of our faith, there is not just one resurrection. You're like, I chase, I did it. You talked about the one in John 11 and we know the one in John 21. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is for you and for me. Just as Martha was like, Jesus, I get it. At the end of days, you will raise up Lazarus at the end. The physical resurrection, yes, that is one of them. But the other one that we miss is our spiritual resurrection. Our spiritual resurrection. What that looks like and what that means is this. When we say yes to Jesus and we say we're done with this and we're ready to start new, that is your spiritual resurrection. There's a reason we imitate the death, burial, and resurrection and baptism that we're going to show two seconds service, but you watch the testimony videos for. Because it's important. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me talk about what's unseen. What's in here? We own Jesus? Are we saying yes to him? So let me talk to a, a part of us in here. Maybe you don't know who this Jesus is. You're like, all right, Chase just said this cool story from some random book about somebody come back to life. All right, cool. I've always wanted to believe in zombies. I like it. That's not the point. It's not even close to the point. Because what's funny is when Lazarus comes back to life, don't get this bad impression in your head of how, like, disfigured he probably would have looked. Because not only did he bring him back to life, but decay was gone. And you're like, well, Chase, how do you know that? Because if it was there, somebody would have wrote about it. Because that would have been weird. So Jesus takes that away. And if Jesus, through the power of God, has power over death, the greatest thing that's defeated, what do you have that chalks up to that? Church, what do we have? You don't think Jesus can conquer your anger? You don't think Jesus can conquer your drunkenness? You don't think Jesus can conquer your lust? You don't think Jesus can conquer your envy, your selfishness, your gossip, your pride, your anger, anything. I said anger twice for a reason because men were angry people. This morning, if you're ready for something new, if you've never done this before and said yes to Jesus, I'm gonna give you that option. I'm gonna have prayer workers on both sides of the wall and they wanna have a conversation with you. And they have something with them, and it's called the I've Decided little packet right here. It's an old cheesy envelope. We love it, all right? And it's just some information there for you that says, hey, if you've decided to do this, we want to help you on that journey. Because as the church, when you make a decision like that, we're going to come alongside you and help walk you through it. And man, I hope that you're thinking about that this morning. And maybe you've been thinking about this for years. There's not a better time than now. Because Jesus wants to work in your brokenness. Jesus wants to work in whatever problems you've got going on. You don't have to be any better right now to have Jesus. So if that's been the lie you've been told, forget that. Maybe for you this morning, that's not the message. Maybe for you this morning, the message is, hey, I know this guy named Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If you've done this whole say yes to Jesus and you're like, yep, I've taken on salvation, my question for you is this Have you truly let things go? Have you truly let the past go? Have you truly forgotten the things that have hurt you years ago and said, you know, I'm giving those to Jesus and let those go? Because if you're not, you're in a prison. And that's not okay. Paul writes it this way For those of us that return to those kind of things, it's like a dog returning to its vomit. Man, that's some good imagery. Don't be doing that. The hope of the gospel is Jesus wants to make you whole. I hope you find that this morning, as he has defeated death. Let's pray. Lord, Father God, we're just so glad we can gather in your house this morning. God, as we just unpack one of the greatest miracles of the, of the ministry of Jesus, may we understand what that means for us, that you have defeated death. Satan has no power over us if we take on your son, may we stop believing the lies he has told us and may we come out of our grave, whatever that prison cell might be, whatever that grave of sin might be, may we understand that we have a spiritual resurrection in front of us if we just take on the name of Jesus. God, that is our prayer this morning, that we see that hope, we see that light. God, you love us. And you show us that because you showed up even though we're not worthy. And we thank you for that because it's truly humbling to know that we are loved even though we might not feel it sometimes by others but you always loved us. Pray us on your name.